0: Well, today we are in our second part of the two-part series on the Holy Spirit, and I just wanted to give a plug for two of the books that have been very helpful in this study. Uh, The first book has been, uh, it's a compilation of Spurgeon's sermons on the Holy Spirit. It's called The Holy Spirit by Spurgeon. And then the other one is a relatively new book by John Ruther. And it's called The Gift of the Holy Spirit. And I would highly recommend this book. Uh, It's not really devotional, but it certainly gives us a good understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit. He's done an excellent job. I can and both books are really and we have both books in our library, so if you're interested. Uh, on reading on the Holy Spirit. I would recommend those. Well, I know many of you were not here for part one in the Sunday school hour several weeks ago, so I plan to do a quick review of all that we covered in that uh, message. But before we do, let's bow in prayer once again and ask the Lord to help us. Heavenly Father, we depend upon you for all things and how much more the preaching and hearing of your word. Lord, we pray that this would not be a time of going through motions, of fulfilling a, a requirement, but rather that we might meet with you, that we might learn of you, that we might commune with you by your Holy Spirit. Please magnify your grace, magnify your name, and pray that we might learn of the Holy Spirit, and that he would be a central part of our lives and our thinking and in our experience. We pray for help. Come down and be present with us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last time, uh, we had uh, two parts to the message. The first part that we covered was that the Holy Spirit is God. And we saw that we gave uh, four uh, points. This is not an exhaustive message either last week or today, but uh, we're hitting on some main points. We saw that he's a God because he's called God. The Lord is the Spirit, as it says in Second Corinthians chapter 3. And then we saw that he has attributes that only God the Father and God the Son have. For instance, we... Uh, he can create. Uh, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives us life. And then we saw that he, um, he's eternal. His characteristics are what only God the Father and God the Son have. So he's eternal. He's the truth. The Spirit is the truth. Uh, he's omnipresent. He's omniscient. And he's omnipotent. All these we laid out, and you can go back to the message if you want. It's online. But uh, we're just summarizing here. And then thirdly, we said that he's presented as being one with the Father and the Son. Uh, The Great Commission. We are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's several verses that uh, carry that, that message. And then finally, we said that we suggested that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is evidence that the Spirit is God. Uh, in almost every case in the scriptures, when someone blasphemes, uh, they're defaming the name of God. So if the Spirit can be blasphemed, then we have to ask the question is he God? And I, the, I would say the answer is absolutely yes. And then the second part of the message was that the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, He's not an emanation. He's not an influence. He's not a thing. He's a person. And we cited the idea from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that uh, just as our spirit is part of us, so God's spirit is part of God. He's, he's, He's God. Our spirit is me. My spirit is me. And so God's spirit is him. We also said that he has characteristics of a person. He has knowledge. He can be lied to, like in Acts chapter 5. He can be grieved, Ephesians chapter 4, and so on. Well, today our focus will be on the Holy Spirit's role in saving sinners. Now, Jesus' purpose in this world, his main purpose is to save his people from their sins. So the angel told told Joseph. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The Holy Spirit plays a vital role in helping Christ accomplish that goal of saving sinners. Now why would he do that? Well, he would do that because he's one with the Son in both purpose and in person. So they're working together because they're one, which is what we showed last time. Now, how is this done? Well, that's the purpose of our sermon today. So the message is divided up into three main parts. First, that the Holy Spirit's role in Christ's public ministry on earth. Secondly, the Holy Spirit's work in regenerating sinners. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit living in Christ's people. And we'll have some applications at the end, Lord willing. So let's start out with the Holy Spirit's role in Jesus Christ's public ministry on the earth. It starts when Jesus is born into this world. The the, uh, angel uh, told Joseph, for that which is conceived in her, that is Mary, is of the Holy Spirit. So right at the beginning, the spirit is playing a crucial role in the birth of Jesus. The angel Gabriel told Mary, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. For that reason, the holy child shall be called the son of God. So it's the Holy Spirit working in Mary to impregnate her. And therefore, the child is called the Son of God. That's the logic of that verse. And then we can go on in Jesus' baptism. So I would ask you to turn to John, Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. We've had a delicious lunch, thanks to all those that prepared the delicious meal But we know what delicious meals can do in the afternoon. And so, therefore, (laughs) we're going to be turning to several passages, as I like to do anyway. In Luke chapter 3, in verse 21, we have Jesus manifesting himself to the world, and it begins at John's baptism. And in verse 21, now it came about, when all the people were baptized, that Jesus also was baptized and he was praying heaven was opened and the holy spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came out of heaven thou art my beloved son in thee i am well pleased so just as i pointed out before notice the the trinity here we have Jesus being baptized. We have the spirit coming down upon Jesus and we have God speaking his word testifying on his son. With him I am well pleased because he always does the will of his father because he's perfect, because he's God. And then we find uh, continuing on in uh, Luke chapter 4 we find that uh, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. You can see that in verse 1 of chapter 4. And then moving down to verse 16, we find Jesus doing his custom. And what was the custom on the Sabbath day for Jesus? Well, his custom what he, was that he would go into the synagogue, the place where God's people met. You see the heart of our, of our Savior? He meets with God's people. This should be the same as we uh, do, is that we should have a heart to meet with God's people. So, again, God is the author of the church. And so, He's meant for us to come together because we need one another in so many different ways. Well, I don't want to go off on tangents, but this is His custom. And when he was there in verse 17, it says, "And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him." and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. And now he's quoting from Isaiah 61:1, and he says, "The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor." Now I just want to pause and ask the question, Is it the Spirit who anointed him? to preach the gospel to the poor or is it the lord who anointed him the lord god who anointed him to, and i would answer yes <laughs> both of them are appointing jesus to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives those who are captive by sin and recovery of the sight of sight to the blind right There's a literal uh, fulfillment of this, but primarily spiritual. The blind who are blind to God. He's going to open their eyes as we'll see in a short time. To set free those who are downtrodden. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. All this is from the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is working in Jesus' teaching and preaching ministry. He, He appointed him, anointed him to preach the gospel. So when Jesus is preaching the gospel, the Spirit is sending him. Do you see the work of the Holy Spirit? Do you see the emphasis of the Holy Spirit? The emphasis is with Jesus. He's working in conjunction with Jesus. He's not off on his own ministry, doing his own thing, getting his own attention. He's working with Christ and with God the Father, fulfilling their out, their their goal to save sinners from their sin so i think you're getting a taste of what's going on here and then it doesn't stop at jesus's ministry of teaching and preaching and uh, healing and all this kind of thing but it goes to the work on the cross so i would have you turn to hebrews chapter nine hebrews chapter nine we touched on this verse very briefly just in passing Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. It says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So what's happening here? Jesus is offering himself up as a sacrifice. This is, what's, this is what is being referred to right here. Jesus is the high priest. And here again we have the Trinity. Jesus the high priest. A perfect high priest. Offering up the perfect sacrifice. And who's the sacrifice? Or what's the sacrifice? The sacrifice is Jesus. He's offering up himself. So we have a perfect offering with a perfect offerer, and he's offering up himself to who? To God the Father. So the Trinity is working together at the cross, and it's through the eternal spirit. Now again, we pointed out that the eternal spirit is, it's eternal, only God's eternal. So the spirit is eternal. So at the cross, the spirit is right there, Focused on sinners. Focused on the deliverance of men from their sins, like you and me and women and children. Right? So this is the Spirit's work. Well, this brings us to the second main point of our sermon, which is the Holy Spirit's work in regenerating sinners. Now, in a sense, this is kind of an extension of what we've already been talking about, of, G- of the Spirit working with Jesus and, and through Jesus in his ministry on earth to save sinners. Well, he's, the Spirit is there. As Jesus is preaching the gospel, as Jesus' servants are preaching the gospel, so the Spirit is there working in sinners. The Spirit regenerates those for whom Christ died. And Jesus describes this whole process of regeneration in John chapter 3. So please turn to John chapter 3, a a passage that most of you are familiar with. In fact, I'm not even going to read it for the sake of time. I have a lot to cover, and uh, I don't want to go too long here. So in John chapter 3, of course, the context is Nicodemus, a Pharisee, is going to Jesus. And he's going to Jesus by night. He probably didn't want to be spotted by his Pharisaic uh, colleagues and be ridiculed by them or uh, scorned by them. So he goes to Jesus by night because he's really interested, I think. And, but he doesn't, get, he doesn't get it. And so Jesus gets right to the punchline right away. And what is the punchline? Well, he tells... Nicodemus you must be born again and this is the another way of saying regeneration you must be born again a sinner in this regeneration is given new spiritual life you see Nicodemus is thinking earthly he's thinking how can I get into my mother's womb you're telling me I need to be born again does I have to go back in my mother's womb Well, that's ludicrous, but see, he can't get out of this world. The New Testament is a spiritual testament. We're moving into the spiritual in the New Testament. So we shouldn't be focused on this life. If we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we're of most men to be pitied. That's what the scripture says, 1 Corinthians 15. So Jesus is speaking on spiritual terms. He's thinking heavenly. He's thinking of a spiritual, where the kingdom is in heaven. Now this idea of being born again, the the sinner is given spiritual life. He who is dead to the spiritual world is made alive to the spiritual world. That's what's going on. We're dead as a doornail. And then God makes us alive. Suddenly, a man who is born again, a man who is regenerated, suddenly he loves Christ. Suddenly he loves his truth. He loves his things. It all begins to click at that moment. Now for some of us it may not happen in, a, in in an instant. We seem to think it took uh, a time, but I would say that if you were, as I was, where it wasn't in a moment's notice, it started somewhere. I started to have a yearning for the things of Christ where I never had that before. I was suddenly interested in the Bible that they that this church gave to me a little pocket New Testament, and I couldn't put that thing down. <laughs> Well, what made the difference? I say, some at some point, the Spirit awakened me. As a teenager, that's the last thing I would do is be looking through a New Testament. Anyway, I was then. I don't understand how it, it's like the wind. You know, it comes and it goes, and you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. But it happened. I can only see the results of it. A sinner is made into a new person in Christ, Second. Corinthians 5.17. The old things passed away. All things are made new. Now, sometimes it takes a while for us to be sanctified, but when we're we're born again, certain sins just fall right off. That's usually the case with just about every person that's converted. There's a radical change, and then we work on other sins over time. But with some people, bingo, just like that. Well, it's a miraculous work. This idea of being born again, being regenerated. What happens can't be explained by the natural realm. It's something supernatural. Spurgeon has something to say about this. So I'll be quoting several times from Spurgeon. He says, this change, he's talking about regeneration, takes place instantaneously. It is as miraculous a change as any miracle which we read in Scripture. It is supremely supernatural. It may be mimicked, but no imitation of it can be true and real. Men may pretend to be regenerated, but without the Spirit, they cannot be. It is a change so marvelous that the highest attempts of man can never reach it. We may reason as long as we please, but we cannot reason ourselves into regeneration. We may meditate until our hairs are gray with study, but we cannot meditate ourselves into the new birth. That is worked in us by the sovereign will of God alone. Amen. (laughs) Furthermore, in regeneration, the sinner is given a new heart. To love what he once hated or ignored. It's called circumcision of the heart. Ezekiel says this. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So you see what's happening here. The Bible describes men apart from Christ as having rocks in their gut, in their chest. There's a rock there. The heart is like a rock. It can't be penetrated by Christ or the gospel. It just bounces right off. That's the way all of us were before Christ. But then the spirit comes and he transforms that rock into a beating heart. Right? So that we can now receive the things of the spirit of God. The natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit of God. Right? It's what it says. But the, but the spirit-affected man, all of a sudden, he loves the things he once hated. He's seeking the things he once never sought. He's hungering for that which he never ate. Now it's all different. He won't savingly come to Christ, this man with a rock, because he can't savingly come to Christ. There's no spiritual life in him. We must be born again. As Whitfield kept saying, we must be born again. Being born again is not something that happens after you believe, but something that happens to you so you can believe. Many teach that it's, oh, yeah, sometime down the line you get the Holy... No, it's you born again so you can believe. Because if we have a rock as a heart, how in the world are we going to believe the gospel? If our heart is hardened towards the gospel, it's a rock. How in the world can we believe on the gospel? We can't. So God, by the Spirit, regenerates us so our heart is beating and now we receive the gospel. Now the other thing I wanted to point out here is that the Holy Spirit is the means of regeneration. He's the means of the new birth by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, Titus 3.5. Now, several weeks ago, Pastor Hill had a definition of God's grace, and I really loved it. And I just wonder if he was studying the same book I was. I, was, I happened to be looking through Burkhoff's Systematic Theology, and he had a definition of God's grace, and this is what it says. The unmerited operation of God in the heart of man... Affected through the agency of the Holy Spirit, and I would add for the salvation of man. This is the definition of God's grace. So we should be uh, thinking on in terms of salvation of men. So when we should we shouldn't be thinking of well I'm going to fix this flat tire by God's grace. That's kind of out of place. I'm not and, and you know people use that terminology and I, I'm not. I'm not snooping around to see if you say it. I'm just saying that really God's grace refers to that which happens to a sinner. So God gives his Holy Spirit to sinners to regenerate them and additional things that we'll talk about in a minute. So that, I love that definition of God's grace. So the Holy Spirit becomes the agent of God's grace by regenerating the heart of a sinner. This gives him spiritual life and the ability to repent and believe the gospel. Listen to Spurgeon. He says, The first thing then that God the Holy Spirit does in the soul is to regenerate it. Now regeneration quickens the sinner and makes him live. He is not competent to have true spiritual conviction worked in him until, first of all, he has received life. It is true that one of the earliest developments of life is conviction of sin." But before any man can see his need of the Savior, he must be a living man. Before he can really, I mean in a spiritual position, in a saving, effective manner, understand his own deep depravity, he must have eyes with which to see the depravity. He must have ears with which to hear the sentence of the law. He must have been quickened and made alive. Otherwise, he could not be capable of feeling, seeing, or discerning at all. Good. Well, all this is kind of like, reminds me of Ezekiel's bones in Ezekiel 37. And you know what happened there. Ezekiel is told to go to this valley. And in the valley, there's all these bones, and they're just laying there. And lo and behold, Ezekiel is told by God to prophesy by the Spirit. And he prophesies to the bones, and the bones start rattling. And next thing you know, there's sinew on the bones and flesh on the bones. And next thing you know, there's an army standing there. These dead bones are made into men. Well, that's the way it is in the spiritual realm. We're like dead bones and then God speaks to us by his spirit and we become living men of God and women of God and so forth. Well the final thing I wanted to say is regeneration is necessary for salvation if we're not regenerated if we're not born again we shall not see the kingdom of God this is what it says in verse 3 of John 3 unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God verse 5 truly truly I say to you unless one is born of water in the spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of God that ends it well So, so far, we've seen the Spirit working in the life of Christ and his ministry. Second of all, we've seen the Spirit's work in regeneration, sort of a continuation of working in Christ's ministry, as it were. But the Spirit not only awakens us to new life, but he abides in us, in all Christians, to help them to live for God. So we're covering now part three of the message, the Holy Spirit living in Christ's people. Well, first of all, the Spirit is given to live in all believers and believers. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. The Spirit is said to be the promise made to the believers. He's When we think of how does the Bible describe the permanent giving of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers, well, one of the first things that's described is he's said to be the promise. Now, in the Bible, there are more than one promise. There's the promise of eternal uh, eternal life. Uh, There's the promise of an eternal inheritance. But in Acts chapter 2 it's plainly referring to the promise of the Spirit. So we see that in verse 33. It says, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, chapter 2, 33, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear, and that is the apostles uh, being overcome by the Spirit and Peter preaching. And then Peter, Peter continues to preach, And he says in verse 38, And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. And I would say he's saying the promise is offered to you And to your children, because not everybody was saved, the people he was talking to. There were only some saved. Many were saved, true, but not everybody. So he's saying the promise is offered to you, right? A verse of controversy, and that's why I point that out. So it's not that everybody's child gets to go to heaven if they're Christians. It's he's offering it to children, too, you see, See what I'm saying? But I'm off on a tangent, so I'm going to come back. (laughs) For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord shall call to himself. So this is the promise of the Spirit. In Galatians 3, it says, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, Jesus goes to the Feast of Booths in John chapter 7. And it says, He who believes in me, this is Jesus speaking to the people at the feast. He says, He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Okay? So this is what Jesus is preaching. Now, the Bible also describes the giving of the Spirit to believers as being baptized in the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist says in Matthew chapter 3, He who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So this is the looking forward to what Jesus is going to do, he's going to baptize them in the Holy Spirit and fire. And then in, um, so the same spirit who awakens us to new life is the same spirit who is given to us who believe, okay? So 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now, it is very possible that the baptism of the Holy Spirit covers both regeneration and permanent giving of the spirit. You can read Charles Hodge's commentary on 1 Corinthians 12:13. Uh, he takes that position. I'm not going to go there now. I'd be going for an hour and a half. So, therefore, we're going to move on and just say that baptism of the Holy Spirit at least covers that we're given the Holy Spirit to reside in us, okay? Now, another terminology that he uses for the giving of the Holy Spirit is that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed, for the day of redemption. So the Spirit is God's stamp of guarantee that we are His and that we're going to endure until the end. This is what the Spirit is given to us for, in part, that it, it's a stamp, the, it's a stamp, a seal on us that guarantees that we're His and that we will endure until the end. Well, the other part is that Christ promises his spirit will be with us forever. In John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. So we shouldn't think of the spirit as like in, kind of conveyed in the Old Testament. We get the spirit and then we lose the spirit. We're in the spirit, we're out of the spirit. No, in the New Testament, we are given the spirit who resides in us forever. That's what Jesus just said. Right? Now the second point about the giving of the Spirit is that all Christians are given the Spirit to live in them. All Christians, without exception. Turn to Romans chapter nine. Another I'm sorry, Romans chapter eight, another key uh, chapter that deals with the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter eight and verse nine. I'm sure some are familiar with this verse, but it can't be overemphasized at this point. In verse 9 of Romans chapter 8, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. It cannot be mistaken the passage couldn't be clearer. Now, why am I making such a big deal about it? Because there's many in our day that believe that there's people that are saved out there who just don't have the Holy Spirit. But you see, if you come to our church, we'll give you the Holy Spirit. And and it makes you sort of a super spiritual Christian. So they believe that there's people floating around that have the Spirit... And then there's people like us who are in Baptist churches that you know we're just saved, and we're kind of dull here, and that kind you know that kind of thing. Well, that's not the teaching of the Bible. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, as we'll see in a minute, we are goners. We're going to be led away in our sin. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're, we're, we're done. We're chicken dinner on the, on the plate of, uh, of Satan. <laughs> All Christians are given the spirit to live in them. Listen to what Spurgeon says. <clears throat> on page 87 of his book, he says this. And truly... Every Christian is a God-bearer. Know thee, know you not, that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 3, 16. So 1 Corinthians 3 is telling us we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's what he calls all Christians. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Spurgeon says a man is no Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. He may speak well and understand theology. He may be a sound Calvinist. He may be a child of nature, finely dressed, but not a child of the living God, if he does not have the Spirit. Amen. It's great Spurgeon, you got to love him, you know. He tells it like it is. Well, in any case... Uh, Romans 8, the spirit living in us. There's more evidence that all Christians have the spirit living in them because the spirit is working in every Christian. Look at verse 13. It says, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. Now, right, right away there, you know, there's this popular doctrine that's been around for decades about the carnal Christian. And it's, that doctrine says, well, you know, you're saved. You believed on Jesus. You just, you know, live like the devil. And that's the teaching. And so they comfort people who are off, you know, living with their girlfriends or, you know, that kind of stuff. And they comfort them by telling them, well, at least you, you believe the gospel and you came forward or you went, uh, you signed a card or whatever, that kind of thing, right? But this verse undermines that entire idea. If you are living according to the flesh, now we're not talking about perfection, we're talking about living with a good conscience before God and before men. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. You must die. You must die. That's what it says. But if by the Spirit, now here's the contrast, those who are not Christ's are going to die. But those who are Christ's are putting to death the deeds of the body. You will live. And who are the people, therefore, that are going to heaven and are living? They're people who are putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? We have the Holy Spirit. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be sanctified, we need the Holy Spirit. If we are going to grow in Christ, we need the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now, I have to make a comment about this idea of being led by the Spirit. It's very popular in our day. So some people would say, well, God led me not to go to church today. And then you say, well, what do you mean he led you not to go? Well, I just I just know the Lord led me. And it's hard to argue with that, right? I mean, it's hard to argue that the, the Lord, I mean, the Lord. he said the Lord led him, and I, but what's the problem? Well, he's not living according, he's not being led by the spirit, which leads us through God's word. He's, it's a mystical notion of God, being, of God leading us by the spirit. And what is the context of being led by the spirit in this verse? Being led by the Spirit means we're putting to death death by the Spirit the deeds of the flesh. That's 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 what we're led to do by the Spirit, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's what it says, verse 13 and 14. Well, this verse also says that those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So, in other words, the Spirit gives us assurance If if we're battling with sin, notice I didn't say we're, we're all perfect and we've got it all together. We have all kinds of problems, don't we? We have all kinds of sins that we're battling. We have all kinds of struggles that we deal with. We have all kinds of issues in our life with our family, with our kids, and it goes on and on and on. But we're battling to do what's right. Well, that gives us confidence. If we're battling and we're making some progress, the Spirit is doing it. All the credit goes to to God through his Spirit. We get no credit. It's the Spirit that's there. That's the reason we're making any kind of progress. And it gives us assurance that the Spirit is with me. Yes, I'm failing and I need to go to the cross, but it's the Spirit that's leading me to go to the cross. <laughs> you see how it works? Anything we do, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but anything that we do, it's the Spirit within us. So all of God's children have the Spirit. Well, the third point about the Spirit given to us to live in us is that the spirit work, Spirit's work as he lives in Christ's people. The spirit works in us as God's people. So as I just mentioned, everything we do that's spiritual, every progress we make, every advancement we can see, the spirit. It's all the spirit. And it's God's spirit. As we pointed out in Sermon 1, we see that it's the spirit of God and we saw that it's the spirit of Christ. So it's not the spirit on his own doing his own thing. It's the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God. They're they're one. They're all working for us and with us and in us. The spirit gives us the desire and the ability to do anything spiritual, to make any kind of progress in this world. And everything we need to live a life devoted to our Lord and his church is available to us through the Holy Spirit. Now, it's true that we work. So this isn't let go and let God. This is we are working, we are studying, we are reading, we are praying, we are reaching, we are ministering. And and through it all, we're dependent on the Holy Spirit. Looking to God in prayer to help us to accomplish all these things. So the Spirit works in us Christian graces. The fruit of the spirit is what? <clears throat> love, right? The chief of all graces, love. So we, we, this is a loving church, but we always need to grow in this, right? So even when we're talking about rules and so forth, it's got to be done in love. Everything we do is in love. When we talk about keeping God's commandment, it can't be, rigidity and uh, we don't want to be legalists we want to be loving people right so we do it all in love so the fruit of the spirit where do we get this love it's the fruit of the spirit so if we have any made any progress in our love for people love for visitors love for each other hey it's the spirit the spirit's working and we're dependent upon him the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self control <laughs> so if we exercise self control the spirit did it yeah but i thought it's self control yeah that's all right but the spirit gets all he gets all the credit then turn to 1 Corinthians 12 1 Corinthians 12 another chapter that focuses on the spirit and the spiritual gifts 1 Corinthians 12, and that's the second point of this, is that the Spirit is working in us by providing us with spiritual gifts. By providing us with spiritual gifts. Look at verse 4. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Right? And then in verse 7, it says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good verse 8 for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit and then in verse 11 but one in the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually just as he wills so where do we get the gifts the Holy Spirit he distributes to each one individually his gifts to us. By one in the same spirit we get the gifts. So no matter what your gift is. And I you know I have to take this aside for a minute. You know there's talk about, well, you know, I don't have the gift of giving. And so I'm not going to bother giving much. No, that's not the. Way. that shouldn't be our attitude. Our attitude is, okay, maybe, we, maybe giving isn't our, our biggest uh, gift in, in our lives, but we should be striving to grow in all the gifts, whether it's the gift of, of comfort, whether it's the gift of prayer, whether it's the gift of evangelism. We can't say, well, I'm not good at evangelism. That's not my gift, so I'm going to just forget about it. No, we should say, "Okay, I need to grow in evangelism if I, that's not my gift." So you see, you see what I'm saying? But the the God, the, the Spirit does supply each one with spiritual gifts and with special gifts. And I was just reading in the Old Covenant when they were building the temple about how some of the men were given the special gifts of constructing things. So that, and you can read about that back in the building of the temple passages. Well, in any case, the Spirit gives the gifts. And the gifts are given for what purpose? So we could brag about our gifts as a church? No. So we can tell others, oh, we got the Spirit? No. No. Uh, So that we can... uh, uh, feel feel good about ourselves that oh look at the gift I've got no it's for the common good it's what it says in verse 7 but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good so you see what he's saying that we're given the gift by the spirit so that we can minister to other people in the church it's what's going on and this first corinthians 12 is about the, the, ch- the local church he's writing to the church at corinth and he's talking about the spiritual gifts in the church verse one now concerning spiritual gifts brethren i do not want you to be unaware so he's teaching the corinthians about in their church the spiritual gifts and of course it applies to all the churches but that's who he's writing to and that's the context Well, thirdly, the Spirit gives us the help and ability to grow spiritually, guiding us into the truth. He's the Spirit of truth. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, I think that has special applications for the apostles. He was speaking to the apostles, and I think in an infallible way, the apostles, as they were writing down uh, the the scriptures, I think they were given an, an infallible gift by God to write down as God has spoken to them. Just like Jeremiah of old wrote down what God had told them. <clears throat> but that, I think it does have application because it talks about the spirit within them. And this is what God is going to do with the spirit within them is to guide them into all the truth. And so we too should be able to discern truth. And if we are able to discern truth from falsehood, praise be to God, it's by the spirit. Secondly, to obey the Lord. The Spirit is given to us to grow spiritually by obeying the Lord. Look at Ezekiel 36 27. You don't have to turn there, but it says, I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So, why is the Spirit given? So that we'll keep His commandments. You see the role of the Spirit? It's a whole different role than what's out there today. Any success or growth in the Christian life, the credit goes to God and Christ through His Spirit. And then we could talk about the Spirit gives us help and resources to pray. We do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit inter- Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So it's the spirit in our hearts that's moving us to pray, Abba, Father. So the spirit is working in us to pray. He gives us the desire to pray. The desire to pray daily. The desire to know what to pray for. Well, as we close... I just wanted to make a few ap- applications. First of all, the wonders of our conversion. <clears throat> our, our conversion was not just simply a little improvement in our character. And I talked one time to a, a fellow who was going to a liberal church, and he goes, yeah, I'm glad for Christ. He's helping me live a little bit better. And, and I almost fell off my chair. I said, I, uh, I think... That goes a little deeper than that. But see, that's the idea, is that Christ came to make us all a little bit better. That, well, that's true. He did come to make us a little better, but that's not it. That's just a, that's scratching the surface. That's the tip of the iceberg. He came to make us. He, he, it's a radical, miraculous, supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. He turns our lives upside down. He alters the way we think. We have a new world view. He changes our talk. He changes our conduct. He radically changes our life from top to bottom. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, how desperately we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to grow in the fruits of the Spirit, to overcome sin in our lives, to endure until the end. See, this is a great comfort when we think about how am I going to make it to the end? i got these sins I'm dealing with. I don't think I'm going to make just grow weary. You have the Spirit. The Spirit is working in you. The Spirit is, is helping in every aspect of your Christian life. Listen to what Spurgeon says. <clears throat> he says, without him, we can do nothing at all. In all the actions of the Christian life, whether it is the act of consecrating oneself to Christ, the act of daily prayer, the act of constant submission, preaching the gospel, ministering to the needs of the poor, or comforting the despondent, in all these things the Christian finds his weakness and his powerlessness unless he is clothed with the Spirit of God. And then... Uh, He also says this, on page 88, he says, You cannot explain the wondrous power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, how it pulls back the hand of the saint when he would touch a forbidden thing, how it prompts him to make a covenant with his eyes, how it binds his feet lest they should fall in a slippery way, how it restrains his heart and keeps him from temptation." Oh, you who know nothing of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, do not despise it. Despise not the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit, thirdly, helps us with our evangelism. Uh, We need to rely on the Spirit. Indeed, if the Spirit regenerates a man, that man will respond and he will listen to us. We need not grow despondent if we speak and they don't respond. It's not our work. We plant we water God causes the increase isn't that what it says we need not resort to man-centered gimmicks we don't have to worry about uh people turning away I mean we it should be a burden to us but it's in God's hands we just got to do God's work for God's work done God's way gets God's blessing that was Pastor Allen <clears throat> fourthly the Holy Spirit is a major player in our salvation Of all we studied, the conclusion should be that the Spirit, again, is focused on saving sinners. This is his goal in this world. This is what he's doing with the Father and the Son. He's saving sinners. He's brought us and getting us into his kingdom. We should never be discouraged, and we should never think of the Spirit as something separate from anything else, from other things that have to do with salvation. We think of the Spirit as centered in salvation of sinners. God the Father is the mastermind. He sends Christ to, and the Spirit to die, in the pla- Christ to die in the place of sinners with the Spirit's help, securing their salvation. Then the Spirit applies the work to regenerate sinners and to live in them, to bear fruit for God, and we make it to the end by his grace. And then finally, the question we all ask, well, how do I get the Holy Spirit? Maybe there's some young people here or children who don't know that they had the spirit they have no confidence that the spirit's working in them how do i get the spirit go to christ christ is the answer you believe on the lord jesus christ and you'll be saved and god will give you the promise of the holy spirit the scripture has shut up all men under sin that the promise And this is Galatians 3 I quoted earlier about the promise of the Spirit, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Let me just quote from Ruther's book in page 204. He says, if you are longing for more of the Spirit, drink more of Christ. Yes, in a sense, it is that simple. Longing for the Spirit should not be a longing to experience manifestations of the Spirit as is so often the case in certain circles. We leave the manifestation and the effects of his sovereign will in distribution. We hunger and thirst for Christ so that we will be filled with his spirit, grow in grace and holiness, evangelism, fruit and fullness. All these ministries, along with the Spirit's other ministries, will be enjoyed as we drink of Christ. And then finally, the way to get The spirit, we ask. We ask the Lord. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask. Go to God. Lift your voice to him and say, Oh, Lord, give me your spirit that I might be changed, that I might be radically transformed in my heart, that I may be given a new heart and a new spirit to serve the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your teaching in, the, in your word of the Holy Spirit. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would never seek to do anything without the consciousness of him being with us and praying for more measures of your spirit upon us. We pray, O oh Lord, you would take even this uh, message and pray that you would use it to the advancement of each one of us and our growth in spiritual things and that you would give us a greater hunger for Christ and his word. We pray that you would bless this to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.